Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to the Mistome Museum of Mystery, Morbidity, and Mortality. This audio tour guide will be your constant companion in your journey through the unknown and surreal. As you approach our exhibits, the audio tour guide will provide you with information and insights into their nature and history. Do not attempt to interact or communicate with the exhibits. Do not attempt to interact or communicate with the audio tour guide. If you believe that the audio tour guide may be deviating from the intended tour program, please deposit your audio device in the nearest incinerator. While the staff here at the Mistome Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality do their absolute best to ensure the safety of all visitors. Accidents can happen. The museum is not liable for any injury, death or gig economies that may occur during your visit. Enjoy your tour and good luck. In the Mistome Museum, there are a pair of busts sitting on a plinth in a quiet corridor. Around their necks are primitive iron collars. There is the faintest impression that there was once an engraved marking, but it has worn away with time. At the back of one collar, there is a bolt fused together, which holds the collar shut. At the back of the other, you can see that there is a segment missing, as if it was once shattered. These collars, and many more like them, were worn centuries ago, by select members of the tribe that made them, for a ritual in which they trekked far from home in order to beg for boons from their gods. The individual who was selected for the ritual was called the Blota. The Blota had no other name. They had no gender or family or any other form of identity or history. From the moment they were chosen as Blota, They were simply the bloater, and everything else about them no longer existed. It would remain that way until the ritual was complete. Upon the successful conclusion of the bloater's journey, their collar would be removed, and their name would be inscribed into the town's eternal book, along with a list of the deeds and virtues that had led to their selection as bloater. Life in this time was short and harsh and cruel, but those who successfully completed the ritual of the Blota would gain the immortality of the gods, as they lived forever in the memories of generations to come. The ritual was conducted every year, at midwinter, in order to beseech the gods for good fortune and harvest in the year to come. If the gods found the Blota to be acceptable, the crops would be good, and the people of the tribe would be safe and so it was a position of great importance and respect among the people. Many strove to be selected by the seer as the bloater, based on their deeds in life and their faithfulness in the gods. 
but there could be only one. The bloater whose story we will follow wore one of these collars. Upon selection, there was a brief ritual wherein the collar was placed around their neck, the shackle locked and then sealed shut with extreme heat that caused some not insignificant burning to the back of the blotter's neck. The blotter was silent throughout this process, as was expected, as any cries of pain or protest could surely be seen as a protest against the gods themselves. Then the blotter was blessed by the town elder and instructed to leave. There was little ceremony. The blotter had not yet completed the ritual, after all, and so there was little to celebrate. Outside the elder's hut, the blotter met their guard. There does not appear to be a special name for the guard, nor is there much significance attributed to their crucial role in the ritual. The guard's purpose was to accompany the blotter along the journey, protecting them if need be with the huge greatsword given to them at the beginning of the quest, and, ultimately, to make sure that the ritual was complete. Before leaving the village, the blotter and the guard paid their respects at the shrine to the blotters that had come before. Tall metal spires rose from the ground, and around each were the collars of blotters who had completed their rituals in years past. If all went well, there would soon be one more. The journey was long and arduous, and many considered it to be a part of the ritual itself. If the ritual was easy, it would have less meaning and do less to prove the dedication of the village to their gods. The blotter and their guard descended the mountain where their village was located and began making their journey through the grasslands and hills that lay beneath. This was the first time that the blotter had left the village, and as a result, the barrage of sights and sounds and smells was almost overwhelming. The guard, on the other hand, had been trained in the outside world for precisely this purpose. The guard knew that the world beyond the village was full of beauty, but also with danger. As the blotter's hand ran through some long grass, the guards whipped out to grab the snake the blotter had failed to notice. At a creek the pair needed to cross, while the guard waded across, checking the water for depth and hidden hazards, the blotter pouted and complained about having to get their trousers wet, when there were some perfectly good, slick rocks they could be jumping across instead. As they picked their way through a dense forest, the guard made sure they ate only the dry, bland rations they had brought with them, as opposed to all the fun and colourful mushrooms the bloater was finding. As lovely as it was to see the blotter enjoying the wonders of the world beyond their village, it was something of a pain for the guard, as they seemed almost determined to put themselves in danger through their curiosity and ignorance. And yet they grew close over the weeks that they travelled together. As they sheltered from the rain in a dank cave, or hid from a pack of plains beasts that had caught their scent, the presence of the guard brought great comfort to the blotter. And in turn, the guard relished the sense of honour and duty that came from their task, of having the life not just of the blotter, but, via the ritual, of the entire village in their hands. But it was more than just duty that drove the guard onwards. The delight the blotter had in the tiny things the guard took for granted was infectious. 
And with every day that passed, the world seemed more beautiful, because that was how the blotter made it seem. And it was more than just a sense of duty that drove the guards' concern when the blotter's energy began to fade, as the journey and its perils took their toll on their inexperienced body and the wounds they had received when the collar was attached became infected. The pair's pace slowed, and it was only through the medicinal knowledge the guard had received as part of their training that the blotter was able to survive at all. But secretly, it was only through the blotter's constant joy that the guard was able to push forward, despite what they knew to be increasing danger. The closer they got to their goal, the further they pushed into bear country, and the guard was unnerved to see signs that some were still active, well past the point where they should have been hibernating. It must have been a difficult autumn, and any bears that were active now would surely be desperate for food. The guard hid this from the blotter, however. There was no need for both of them to be fearful. Eventually, they came to the base of the mountain that was their destination. On the far side of the great stretch of valleys and plains and forests that separated it from the mountain they called home. Far above their heads, they could just make out the precipice that was their destination. Mercifully not the peak, but still, a long ways up. The exhausted blotter gazed up at the climb ahead of them, the wonder of the mountain's natural beauty thoroughly overpowered by the misery that lay ahead. The guard saw the expression on the blotter's face and, seeking to lighten the mood, made a joke about leaving their climbing shoes at home and that they'd need to go back. The blotter's laughter could have been heard from the mountain's peak. They climbed for days. For some sections of the journey up the mountain, there were easy paths to follow. For others, the pair were forced to climb sheer cliff faces freehand. Twice, the guard saved the blotter from falling. Once, the blotter did the same in return. The blotter's energy was fading, but their commitment to their duty was not. And finally, the pair found themselves at the base of a slope, leading up to the outcropping that was their destination. The blotter and the guard looked at the slope, then each other. They smiled, and began the final part of their journey. They were halfway to the top when a dark blur rushed out from behind an icy boulder and tackled the blotter to the ground, snarling and breathing hot air on their face. The guard spun and saw a bear crouching on top of the blotter, pinning them down and rearing back to unleash a fatal strike. In an instant, the guard's greatsword was drawn and swung mightily at the bear's flank. The bear flinched away and deflected the attack with its paw, retreating back a few paces. The blotter gasped as the weight of the beast was lifted, crawling away up the icy slope. The guard rushed forward, pushing the blotter away and shouting a command to run. The bear roared with fury and prepared to lunge again, but the guard was already charging towards it, swinging the sword and howling a battle cry. The blotter didn't see any more, as they were scrambling up the rise toward the conclusion of their long journey. As the sounds of battle faded away below, the blotter reached the top of the slope and was almost blinded with the light of the setting sun. Shielding their eyes, the blotter stood and looked around at the ritual site, 
It was a small plateau, filled with the iconography of the village's faith. Symbols etched in the cliff face, carved effigies of the gods. But the most important part of the ritual site was not something made by humans. The blotter gazed out over the edge of the outcropping as the world spread out below. From here, the entirety of the journey the pair had taken could be seen. The hills, plains, the forests. It was all there, spread out like the most incredible and wondrous of patchwork quilts. It was, in the words of the Elder, a complete summation of the work of the gods. Everything they were and everything they had created was visible below. The journey had been long and hard and frequently terrifying, but looking at this view, the blotter knew that the gods deserved such tribute and more. The sound of footsteps crunching in the snow approached from behind. The blotter turned and saw the guard, bleeding from a wound to the shoulder, but alive, clutching the blood-slicked greatsword. They locked eyes for a moment, and the blotter began preparing for the ritual, clearing away the snow and debris that had built up since the last time it had been performed, revealing the spiral pattern engraved in the centre of the plateau. The guard cleared their throat and began to speak, but the blotter shushed them as they got in position for the ritual to begin. The guard paused, then bowed their head. The blotter knelt facing the setting sun, and just as it began to dip beneath the mountain that their people called home, said a quiet prayer of respect and thanks to the gods. The sun's setting rays glinted softly off the metal collar as the blotter bowed their head. The guard's greatsword sliced through the blotter's neck in one clean stroke. The head and body fell to the rocky ground separately, the collar making a soft clanging noise as it slid off the base of the neck. The sun's final light reflected off the blood of the blotter as it flowed away, spiralling outward following the path of the engraving and eventually flowing over the edge of the cliff. The guard watched, tears welling in their eyes for a moment. Then the sun was finally obscured. Wordlessly, the guard picked up the collar and began the journey home. The people of the village were overjoyed with the news that the ritual had been performed successfully, and all celebrated and looked forward to the year of prosperity that lay ahead. The blotter's name was inscribed in the village book, and their collar was added to the monument. Everyone in the village knew the blotter's name, and the great deeds and virtues they had fulfilled in life, and they praised them for the sacrifice they had made for the betterment of them all. And when the crop failed due to blight, the whole town knew of their falseness, of how they had tricked the whole town into letting them become a blotter, and how their sacrifice had angered the gods. The elder struck their name from the village book, and shattered their collar, and demanded that all were to remember the blotter only as a heretic, and nothing more. The people acquiesced, and the person who had once been a joyful part of their lives was gone forever. 
The blotter's guard did not forget, however. They knew better than to believe that the blotter had been false, that their sacrifice had displeased the gods. They didn't fully understand what had happened, nor why the crop had failed, but they knew that the blotter had been as pure as anything in the entire world. So the guard dedicated a great deal of the rest of their life to the church, aiming to climb through the ranks and gain enough standing that they would be permitted to learn and to write. And then, with the knowledge granted by the church itself, they defied the church's order in order to make sure that the blotter would not be forgotten by writing their own version of events, chronicling the story of the life their companion had had before becoming the blotter. And the funny thing is, we have that account. Some of it, anyway. As a lot has been so degraded by the intervening years as to be illegible, but we have been unable to find any trace of that villager's book. We remember the blotter, and now so do you. And so they'll never truly die. Lovely story that missed home. Very melancholy. Thank you. And somewhat pointed, considering recent events. I am sorry the way things had to go, Miss Tone. They didn't have to go this way. You didn't have to. No. No two ways about it, little one. One day you'll understand. Understand what? Deceiving people? Making them think they're your friends, then eating them? I do feel bad, really. But sometimes you've got to do bad things to do the right thing. The right thing? What are you talking about? Loyalty. I owe my life to my friend. I had to do anything. Honour be damned. That's what loyalty is. Huh. You know, a few days ago you said folks aren't always what they appear. This is what you meant, isn't it? That you're not just a dumb beast because you're loyal. Because you love your friend. <laughs> you get it. Yeah, I do. But do you know something? beast. Sometimes folks are exactly what they appear to be, and blind loyalty to the first person who ever showed you kindness, no matter what, is exactly the sort of thing I'd expect from a dumb animal. You told your people back at the museum what I told you to? They're sending me some more snacks? Yes. They're prepping to send a second team as we speak. Good. You'll be quiet now, Miss Tom. I'm going to take a nap. I live to serve. You're sure about this guy? Absolutely. I owe it to them. I... It's not your fault. What happened to them? You you don't need to... Look, I'm not good at this sort of thing, but... What What I mean to say is... You don't need to take it all on yourself. We all want to find the curator. Raptor team knew the risks. I'm sure they... I'm, I'm sure they died well. I know that. But I think that this is the best shot we have. And I want to do everything I can to make sure they didn't die in vain. Well, okay. Here she comes now. Now you two be careful. I only just finished fixing her up. Don't worry, ma'am. 
There's nobody in the world I trust more than her. Downloading now. Okay, we're all good to go here. The clockwork mother's all set? Yes. The restoration department made some repairs to her vocal array, so I'll be able to speak through her... speakers. Testing. Do you hear my voice coming from the mother? Yep. That's disconcerting. How about yourself, mother? All good? She says yes. She's ready. Really got to get around to learning to sign. Okay. Now we'll be sealing the shelter as soon as you're in there. We know that the world on the other side of the glassway is dangerous. So you understand that we're not keen on letting anything through if we can help it. Understood. Well, good luck to both of you. Stay safe out there. You too, ma'am. Thank you so much for coming along on this, Mother. Did you get a chance to say goodbye to your daughter? Of course. Sorry, it'll all... make sense. You managed to get the bracelet. Great, that'll really help. Okay. Traversing Glassway in three, two, one. Okay, Mother, stop. I need to explain. There's a thing here. It's just called the Beast. It tricked me. All of us. It's working for the man with the voice. It killed Eagle. All of them. It figured out my name and it's controlling me. I can't tell any humans or anyone in the museum what really happened, but it doesn't know about you. So I had to bring you through here under the pretense of going back to look for the curator to get around that. So now we have to go back through the glassway and warn the museum before they send any more people through into a trap. Yes. I can't believe that worked. I wasn't sure if that loophole would work, but the wording was specific enough that I could get around it. Just an animal after all. Hmm. No, I'm fine, Mother. Well, I'm not fine. I'm pissed off. But... But I've had worse, I guess. Getting hurt's part of being alive. I won't let that thing change who I am. Actually, that does sound good. You and me here hunting that thing? Bet we could get a few licks in. But... No. For now, what's important is that we go back through the glassway so you can warn the others. I can't... You'll be doing no such thing. Who said that? That would be me. Don't try anything stupid now. We have you surrounded, of course. All around the guide and the clockwork mother, figures stepped out from behind trees, dressed in strange clothing with ornate bows trained on the mother's chest. They were some of the most peculiar and yet oddly beautiful individuals the guide had ever... Whoa, never mind that. Uh, please, we mean you no harm. We actually want to leave your realm and never return. So if you don't mind, we'll just go back through the... We cannot debate such a thing, I'm afraid. Once your kind entered our wood, and we took it as an impoliteness. Twice you entered our wood, and we took it as an affront. But thrice, thrice you entered our wood, and sealed your fate. We cannot abide such a breach of our laws, and so your lives are now forfeit. Come with us, or be slain where you stand. Mother, they don't know about the bracelet. We could... No, we're not here to fight. Maybe they know something about the man. This could be an opportunity. Sir, please, we will gladly surrender ourselves, but please just let us go back through the... You will surrender or you will perish. Damn it, fine. Okay, we surrender. Good. Now, hands in the air. Mother, do as he says. Mother? Mother, can you... What's wrong? (laughs) Oh, the poor thing didn't even realise it couldn't move all this time. 
We do not leave such things to chance, creature of metal. But I would have liked to see you try. Oh no. I'm sorry, Mother. I'm sorry I've gotten you into this. We've still got the bracelet, so they can't... That thing around its wrist is enchanted. Take it off. Oops. Oh no. Uh, where are you taking us, if you don't mind me asking? Where else, metal creature? We're taking you to meet the Queen. Oh, what have we gotten into now? If you enjoy the Mist Home Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality, please consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash domgilfoyle. You'll be helping to make sure the show keeps going, not just by supporting me, but also by giving money to go towards equipment, software and hiring actors. Patrons of all tiers get access to an ad-free feed and access to new episodes a week ahead of the main feed. And you'll also get access to some bonus content. Everyone who subscribes at $10 or higher will get to have their name read out at the end of the next episode that gets released. This episode's wonderful supporters are Orson Frost, Casey Sardinia and Kirsta Scaff. Thanks for listening and as always, stay safe out there. The Mistome Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality is written, produced and performed by Dom Gilfoyle with the help of That's Not Canon Productions. This series was produced on Aboriginal land and we recognise the strength, resilience and enduring legacy of the Yagara and Turbal people of this land. If you'd like more Mistome, please subscribe and like the Facebook page where more content is occasionally posted and where you can get in touch with us. The following is an advertisement that helps support the show's continued existence. If you'd like to support it more directly, visit that'snotcanon.com for more information. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.